Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hey everybody, this is Brian back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today we have with us a really remarkable guest. Her name is Alyssa Rushton. Uh, she's not only a survivor of a profound near-death experience, but she's also an internationally renowned energy intuitive, and she's a sound healer. She's considered one of the world's leading thought leaders on conscious life creation, ascension, and embodying your divine self. Her transformative work for personal and planetary evolution can be found in her recorded programs like Reality by Divine Design and The Miracles and Manifesting Portal, as well as in numerous online summits that she's done. She's touched the lives of thousands of individuals worldwide, inspiring them to step into their identity as divine beings of light, to activate their superpowers and to forge a strong and profound connection with their inner divinity. When she isn't recording meditations or speaking internationally, you can find her immersed in the beauty of nature, swimming with sea turtles near her home on the Big Island of Hawaii, or hiking in the mountains of Arizona, two places that I've never been to Hawaii, but I would love to go, and I love Arizona. Uh, that's her home away from home. For more information about her and her work, you can visit her website, alyssarushton.com. It's A-L-Y-S-A, Rushton, R-U-S-H-T-O-N.com. And that'll be in the show notes. But you can go there and find out more about her. So with that, I want to welcome Alyssa to Grief to Growth. My gosh, Brian, thank you for having me. I've been so excited about the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Also, we talked earlier about some of the things we're going to talk about, and it's all the stuff my audience is interested in. What's it like on the other side? Um, how do I heal? You know, how do I make get to my highest self? So we're going to talk about all that stuff today. If you don't mind, if you could start with your near-death experience and tell me what happened there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to start off with the dying, as we've been taught in America or the Western world, is not what we've been taught. It's not actually a death. It's a birth. And I really didn't know that before I died. <laughs> I, I I didn't really know what to expect. And so my story is that I was really sick. I was on end-of-life medication. I was 240 pounds. I used a walker to get around. I had a pick line in my arm delivering medication into my heart. I was so sick and, uh, you know, they gave me these end of life pain management drugs because it's the kind of thing that you give to people when you don't really expect them to live because they're so strong that number one, they can kill you. <laughs> and number two, you probably won't get off them ever. So I didn't have a great trajectory as a human being and I was 30. Okay. So I was 30 years old, prime of my life. Mm. And I had all these autoimmune diseases and just really 
couldn't understand why I was so sick. And so you can imagine that much medication, you know, 28 different medications infusing into your body, plus all the end of life pain management stuff, including fentanyl. And, you know, if you've heard any of the word on the street about fentanyl, you know, even one time can kill you. And I was doing these fentanyl suckers that they give to cancer patients when they can't really tolerate to take pills. And so one day I just got way too much medication in me and I wasn't feeling well in the nighttime and did what a lot of people do. You go to the bathroom when you're not feeling good, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And did what Elvis did. I died on the potty. And so, you know, I'm going to leave the experience there of me dead on the potty. And what happened was on the other side, right? I had this extraordinary experience. I didn't have the standard hover above your body, see yourself there. I didn't have that. And several um, near-death survivors will tell you the same thing. I actually popped up directly into what I call God consciousness or divine consciousness or universal consciousness, whatever word you want to use for it. And what happened to me was I got pulled up into this energy. Now, imagine this blissful, delicious love feeling just washing over you. And I always say it's the most physical thing I've ever done without a body, hmm. you know, and it was instantly, I was consciousness that could just expand in every and all direction all at once. I felt so free and filled with love and bliss. I was getting as I was, I felt this sense of moving upward. And as I was moving upward, I started to get downloads and insights. And like, I could understand and see how the universe worked, right? Our universe and how, um, light informed sound, informed sacred geometry, informed matter. And I understood, you know, quantum physics and math. And by the way, I'm a high school dropout. So there was no way I could have known that stuff. Right. Mm. So I'm, I'm moving up and this profound experience. And I realize I'm not, you know, I'm not in a body. I'm not living. Right. Mm. Uh, uh, uh. And I didn't even have that feeling of like, oh gosh, it was just pure like relief. Mm. relaxed, um, bliss. And, and I, I say the word bliss, but that's not even a good enough word for it. You know, it was a feeling beyond description of ecstasy. And so I'm going up, 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 and I get what I call into God consciousness directly. And I then am in this kind of energetic where the best way I can describe it is, have you ever seen one of those movies where a guy's sitting behind like a hundred security cameras and he's watching all the security? Have you seen that? Yeah, Whatever yeah. those movies are. Yeah. It was like that only times a billion or more. And mm -hmm. I could literally, there was like these little bubbles of camera almost experiences where I could see, and then I could stretch my consciousness into each one of those bubbles of consciousness. And literally I was experiencing being a plant, being a tree, being an animal, being an alien, being a galaxy, being Alyssa, being Brian, being, you know, everybody all at once. And so the way I describe it is I was everything all at once. Hmm. And it was, the most magical, amazing, 
unconscious thing and I could literally stretch into experiences and hold it all. And if there was something I wanted to go deeper into, I could move my, and I'm moving my arms because it was such a, a visceral stretching of consciousness that felt directional and spatial mm. um, to me. And it was just absolutely incredible in every way. So I, you know, I always say, I don't recommend dying before your time. Um, and I actually don't think you can die before it's your time because of my experience. But I do say that when someone passes over there, um, what I saw on the other side was that we each and every one of us get a death birth experience that is designed specifically for us. And if you really believe that you're going to go experience the pearly gates of heaven, that's you're going to be your first experience and you're going to be greeted because it's designed to be um, not stressful for mm. you in any way. So I got to see all that. I got to see how quantum mechanics works. I got to see all of this and I'm, I'm floating around the cosmos and, and experiencing all of this, this amazing stuff. Oops, sorry. Amazing stuff. And then... I saw this little, this little kind of earth globe and I thought, well, I'm going to go check that out. And as soon as I did, I popped into this earth-like world and it looked very much like earth. It was more olive green, the sky though. And I all of a sudden didn't have God consciousness anymore. I had Alyssa's consciousness and mm -hmm. I knew oh, I'm going to go hang around my ex-boyfriend who smoked um, and did drugs and drank. And I felt very calm and peaceful. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go hang around this other person. And I couldn't speak to them in any way, but I felt calming and relaxing and, and healing. And as I was there, I was, I was kind of you know, wondering like, well, why can't I talk to anybody? But I was okay. I was really okay about it. So these and are then, people that were still here on earth, I assume. Yeah, okay. still okay. living. And I really felt okay about it. And then um, this energy, this group consciousness came to me and said, hey, if you want to stay here, you can. It'll be a very healing place for you and you can stay here as long as you want, but you won't be able to come back into your Alyssa body. And if you want to come back into your Alyssa body, it'll be some of the hardest work you've ever done, but you've got to come back now. And as soon as I thought, yes, I want to come back, that's when it felt like somebody dropped me off a thousand story building and slammed me down into concrete and I was waking up in my body and I was back wow. to planet wow. earth. Wow. That's, that is quite an experience. And, and I love what you said about, and I, we think of the typical NDE experience and there, there are several elements that are in a lot of NDE experience, but they're not all the same. And so, you know, you didn't experience the tunnel, now, did you um, did you meet any loved ones on the other side? You said you came back and you saw people here. Did you did you visit loved ones here? Or? I did. I didn't visit. Well, I I visited loved ones here in the astral realm, and I want to actually come back to that. But mm -hmm. I don't have any loved ones that are passed over on the other side. Okay. So that's why it wasn't a part of my experience. I just didn't have it. Okay. And okay. nobody knew waiting for me on the other side. Yeah, <laughs> it was completely, yeah. you know, it was not something that happened for me. But there were so many energies that I was experiencing on the other side, mm -hmm. you know, billions and billions and billions of experiences. And for me, that felt really nourishing. But the, um, 
the interesting bit, and I didn't find this out until years after my near death, is that that planet that I went to that was like Earth, I was reading a book by um, Savannah Arienta, and she described my experience completely about going to this world that was olive kind of green colored. Hmm. And she said what that is, it's the astral realm where spirits go to heal, where they maybe don't make it all the way into the lights and they kind of maybe get stuck in the astral realm, but they do, they heal and they hang out until it's their time to go and come back and do a different experience again. And mm -hmm. and that's what it was going to be for me. If I had chosen to stay there, I would have probably gotten stuck in the astral realm for a bit. And that's also why I think people with addiction um, get tend to get more addicted because I was an addict when I died. I was totally addicted to pain drugs and cigarettes. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever consider myself an alcoholic. I just drank every day. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right. So what I realize happens on the other side is that when you pass out of, a, of an addiction, if you get kind of stuck in that astral realm, you go and you hang out with loved ones here um, that have addictions because it mm. feels good. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of amplifies their addiction and um, maybe isn't necessarily a positive thing for people here on earth, but on the other side in the astral realm, it's very healing to the spirit. That's yeah. It's interesting because I have the NDE experience. Um, I'm starting to understand that people don't typically go all the, well, I don't think they ever go all the way. There's like, there's always some sort of barrier or something that people encounter and there's like a point of no return. Like if you if you stay here or if you go beyond this point, then you're you can't come back. Yeah. So it sounds like you you made a conscious choice to come back to your Alyssa body. Uh, yeah, I was offered a choice. You were very sick and addicted. Why why did you decide to come back? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. great question. I think on the soul level, my soul knew that I was here to do something different. My soul knew that I wasn't doing my plan hmm. and as, as I could. And in fact, when I woke up and I was in the hospital, you know, strapped to a gurney, legs flailing because I had been injected with Narcan and I was instantly going through a massive withdrawal. Oh, wow. Um, I had the recognition, oh, my life is in a ditch. I'm completely broken and what I'm doing is not working. Mm -hmm. So on the other side, what I feel like happens is at soul level, 
I knew I could do it differently and I could come here and be an example. But they also told me it's going to be very hard. And they were right. It was very hard to break those addiction patterns and to, you know, get the weight loss because I lost over a hundred pounds and I've kept it off. The weight loss was easy, but people always remark about the weight loss first. It was healing my spirit. It was healing my body. It was healing those addictions. It was healing the traumas. That was the Mm -hmm. really hard work. Um, and so I think I was just destined to come back and be an example of what's possible for people when they dig in and do the healing work. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how, how did you get from being on the potty to, to the hospital? Yeah. So, well, obviously, um, you know, paramedics were called my husband. I was married at the time and he was the one who found me not breathing lips, blue nails, blue on the toilet and was able to call 911. 911 came out, pumped me full of Narcan, um, Mm. which stops all that process, right? It stops the overdose process. And if you get it in time, and I loved what you said, there's a point to which you don't get to come back from right? There's a point of, have you ever seen that movie? Um, I think it's called Princess Bride where, oh, yeah. yeah, where he says, well, don't worry, they're only mostly dead or yeah, partially yeah. dead, right? And yeah. so there's a really a longer process of dying that you can come back from if it's not your time. And what I saw on the other side is our souls have distinct exit point options. Hmm. And you don't always have to take those exit point options, but you as a soul being get the opportunity to choose, is it my time to move on? Do I want to come back? Um, am I capable of coming back in this body? You know, can I heal the body if I do come back? Do I want to come back to this body that's broken? You know, there's that process on the other side sure. of do, do I really want to do this? So it's a very complex um, interesting process of death and birth and living here on planet earth. That's just fascinating to me. Yeah. I'm glad you said the word complex because, you know, we have these debates about predestination versus free will. And do we, is there a certain time that we have that we, where we die or are there multiple exit points? And, um, and I know some people, you know, they wonder about our loved ones, well, why would, if, if she got a chance to come back, I know my loved one would have chosen to come back. And, you know, we can't really know that, of course, but there's also a point of no return when the body's not, not viable any longer. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And some people, you know, have that point where their, their body isn't viable and they have to, to just reboot and get another one. Right. And that's what I think is really the important point is that, you know, as a human being, what we're trained here, especially in Western society, isn't necessarily all that true about our human experience. You know, we're, we're taught that for most part, we're taught that we have one life to live, that we have the one body, that we are one thing. And on the other side, what we realize is that you're more like, I'm going to, I'm going to show you this here use my favorite unicorns book, you're, you're actually more like this book. Okay. And Mm -hmm. if you could think of each page as if an aspect of your soul, Hmm. right. And so we think, oh, um, you might think like, oh, I'm just Brian and my soul is just Brian. No, your soul is actually all of these pages happening all at once, really Mm -hmm. in the multidimensional 
up thereness, not down mm-hmm. here, but up there. And so it's a little hard for the human brain to understand everything all at once. It's why we have a left brain so that we don't get overwhelmed and confused and it helps us move through linear space and time. Mm-hmm. But my point in that is that, you know, we get not only all of these opportunities in this in this life, but we're having all these opportunities for soul growth in other realms. And so when one passes over, it might be like, well, I learned my lessons here on earth. I'm going to move on, or I need to come back because I still want that experience. It's um, earth. I always refer to earth as third grade. Um, Hmm. No offense anybody, (laughs) but it's, we're learning very basic human lessons here um, and very basic soul lessons of can we hold the frequency of love no matter what? Mm -hmm. Um, Can we master our physical body and our emotional bodies and our mental body? Because on the other side, it's kind of like having a rocket ship, right? You create very fast with your thoughts and feelings. And so if you can't master that here, you don't get to be in other realms where you're creating at the speed of light. And um, if we can't master our physical vibration in terms of what gets us agitated or what I call it janky, you know, that feeling where you're just like, ah, don't, you know, you're just in a kind of a twist or I'm triggered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we've got to learn those lessons here and um, we can't really move on. So that said, to your point, um, sometimes the physical body is not viable and we have to pop back into another body and you can really do it instantaneously, um, you know, because up there, there is no time. It's all mm-hmm. happening like this book all at once. When you're reading a book and you're on page seven, you don't have to wait for page 91 to be written ever. It's already mm-hmm. there. But as human beings, we kind of think of time like that, like, oh, I have to wait through time and space. So it's a really, it, um, you know, passing over to the other side really offers you such a different opportunity to understand our soul's experience. And to your point, I think when you lose a loved one, based on how we've been taught and trained, I don't know that we necessarily have a positive viewpoint about what their experience is and how it's like a graduation of sorts, Yeah. right? For them, they're literally, I always say, and I know it's hard to hear, but it's like, that's when you know that person won the game of life. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I'm really glad you said that um, because the thing is, I, I find that people, I, I say people, you grieve for two 
two reasons. You grieve for yourself, for your loss, mm -hmm. and you grieve for what you perceive that your loved ones lost. Yeah. And one of the things I love about talking to people who have had NDEs is that we can eliminate that idea of what they've lost. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I work with a lot of people who've lost children. And so we'll say like, my daughter, my daughter was 15. You know, she was only 15. Her, her, she had her whole life in front of her. And when we say that, what we're saying is that their life is over. Yeah. And I love what you said. We have this 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 misperception of death as as the end of something, where it's more like a birth into something else. Totally. And it and it literally is like if you can think of a baby being born out of the womb and how like whoa that must be so intense for them because they're all this they've been living in a space like this mm -hmm. you know maybe the foot diameter maybe a foot and a half and now they're in this huge expanse right it's the exact same experience when you're birthed into the other side and in western society we don't teach that we teach it's the end you go to heaven and that's not necessarily the truth mm. you know it's not necessarily what happens and I love how what you said, Brian, about we though do have to grieve our physical loss because sure. that's the hard part is losing the physicality of somebody. Mm -hmm. And with the work that I do, what I also know is you can lose the physicality of somebody and still maintain your connection to them. And that's something else that we don't necessarily teach. And so can I, can I talk about that for a minute? Do you mind? Absolutely. Sure. So on the other side, when you don't have a body, you're a really high vibration. Okay. It's a higher frequency here. We have a very dense frequency. And so I want you to think about like going into the ocean. If you dove down into the ocean at about 15 feet, 10 feet for some people, um, your ears start to hurt. It's mm -hmm. too much pressure. It It's ouchy, right? And then if you dive down even more, at some point it really starts to squeeze your body and it squeezes your lungs. And if you dive down even further, at some point you would implode because it's too much pressure. Okay. So I tell you that to tell you on the other side, as a being of light, when you release your physical, I call it your physical vehicle, right? Because you're a soul in driving your physical vehicle, <laughs> right? Your, your meat suit, you're driving it. So on the other side, when you release the physical vehicle, you're this super high frequency. And at some point when you're trying to come down and connect with your humans, it hurts. Hmm. because we're so dense down here. So if you're wanting to connect with your loved one, you actually can't be in grief and connect with your loved one. You're going to need to raise your frequency up into a state of love or above in order to be able to have that conscious contact with them. Hmm. Because they do want to connect, but it's very hard for them to come. Like there's a physical limit to which they can come down and actually connect with you or, you know, hang out with you. So it's the process of us raising our frequency. So again, to use the ocean analogy, you would have to come up to a certain depth to swim with the ocean, 
ocean dolphins. You no. couldn't swim with the ocean dolphins at a thousand foot depth. You, you're just going to never meet them there. And so consciously we can understand that. But when you release the body, you're still consciousness. You just don't have your physical vehicle. You have a different light vehicle. And so if we can remember that when we're trying to connect with our loved ones, like they actually need us to be in a state of higher receptivity. And sometimes it's hard to get to. You know, I've, um, I've heard a lot of analogies for that. That's, I've never heard that one. And I like the way you, you put that. And it reminds me, have you heard of Christian Sundberg? No. So Christian Sundberg has these pre-birth memories and he talks mm. about basically getting his body and and being uh there's like almost technicians that they're putting the veil on him and when he describes it when you said it, it just reminded me so much he said i went down 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 and he just down 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 and then down further 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 and, and he, he was taught he describes the process of incarnating as almost painful it's terrifying yeah. because it's such a different frequency such a different vibration than where we are on the other side. And I think that's something that people can understand that the idea of our loved ones are there, if they're up there and it's all light and airy and earth is, you know, you described it as third grade. And it's interesting because I've heard people describe more like kindergarten. It's like people are here are like beginners. They're all stumbling around. We don't know what we're doing. Um, but on the other hand, because it's so dense and we have this variation of consciousness, it's also understand where the hardest places to be. Yes. Yes. And you'll hear a lot of um, NDEs describe the process of getting put back in their body is so painful. Like when Mm -hmm. I I literally felt like I I fell a thousand feet and slammed into concrete. It was such a huge density uh, variable. Like it was just a huge chasm. And so I think it's really important to remember that. And to your point, like this is one of the densest places that we can be. And we also get a lot of benefit out of being here. We get to have physical things. We get to taste food. We get to have physical pleasure. We get to um, look out of our eyes with trees and touch and learning some of the really basic lessons. And I always say third grade because we're in 3D, you know, we're in, we're in third density. So I just call it third grade, but it is, there's the cool thing about Um, having been on the other side is there's much more exciting places to go. And, you know, even places that um, other star systems where you still have a physical body, but it's lighter and travels through space and time differently. And you actually have different skill sets. And um, one of the cool things that I realize about humans is that we have a whole bunch of DNA. You might've heard this, that they call the scientists, they call it junk, Mm -hmm. but it's actually not junk and you can turn it on. And so what's really cool is that when I was on the other side, I found out how to do this. And it's one of the ways that I was able to heal my body. And, you know, now I, I don't have those autoimmune diseases. Obviously, I don't use a walker to get around. I don't need the diapers anymore. You know, it was really, I was in a really pretty bad state. Mm-hmm. But you can heal your physical body and you can turn on certain DNA sequences. You can access different gifts. You know, as human beings, we have all of these senses that we're actually trained out of using as an early child. We're trained mm-hmm. not to use our intuition. We're trained to override our gut. We're trained to not tap in with our right brain. 
and use that right brain. I always say, you know, we're really left brain educated, um, especially in Western society. We're not at all, right? We're not at all taught to use our right brain. Where some Hindi kids, they can literally read to you a, a page on a book when the book is in the other room and they are just remote viewing it. So we actually have all of these gifts innately within us, but we've been largely trained out of them. So it's kind of cool to be able to relearn some of that stuff and and then connect yourself up in different ways so that your life is vastly different and that you can connect with your loved ones and you can connect with beings of light and have really, I call it being in the miracle zone. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. So when you, when you came back and, you know, you came back to this body that was largely broken, if you don't mind Mm -hmm. me using that word. Totally. um, How did you start the healing process? Um, How did that work? Yeah. Well, it was interesting, you know, because I don't know exactly how long I was dead, right? I was found. So there's no real way to know. Right. And at first I thought, I literally had the thought of, oh God, I think I might have had a lot of brain damage because I, um, the next, the very next day after I had died, I was right back in the hospital again, infusing, because that's what I did, you know, infuse the, the chemicals to make me better. Mm -hmm. And I had this man's voice in my head. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. I'm hearing voices, (laughs) you know, was my first thought. And it was on repeat. And it said, I'm getting better and better every day in every way. And it was Mm -hmm. just on repeat, on repeat. And I couldn't stop it. And it wasn't again until years later, I actually was watching a YouTube video and it, you know how YouTube like pops up stuff and it was a YouTube video and I heard this man's voice and his name was Emile Couillé um, and his phrase was, I'm getting better and better every day in every way. And that was the guy who was in my head. Mm. So my first step was rewiring my brain. And shortly after my near death, I knew that I had to bring through what I saw and felt on the other side into my physical experience. And I couldn't really do a lot. So what I did was I just started listening to this meditation and I would lay in bed and listen to this meditation music. And I would visualize myself because what they showed me on the other side is how we perceive ourselves our, our self image mm-hmm. is what we have to play out here. So they told me to change my self image and my self image at that time was somebody with a broken body who was really, really sick. And by the way, I was actually getting a lot out of that, you know, like I was, um, I was playing into that victim role. I was able to get love and support and care. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, you know, I maybe didn't get as much love and support and care as I needed. And so that illness in adulthood allowed me to get unconsciously what I had been longing for. Mm. So I would just lay in bed and I would imagine myself walking um, and feeling really great. And that was my first step. 
And I literally would just lay in bed and visualize myself walking and feeling great. And at the time I didn't know it, but this is what a lot of paraplegics do that regain their ability to walk is they just start with visualization. And there's a lot of scientific studies around visualizing yourself in a different state that will help you to heal. So Hmm. I did that and it was a, as it was I think a couple of months and then I started to feel motivated to take my walker out and I would literally just walk from my house to the end of my driveway and that was all I could do. And I just started there and I started pushing myself. And as I would push myself and every week I'd add and I'd go to the next house. And I would just again chant in my head, my legs feel great, my legs feel great because it felt like my legs um, were amputated stubs. I mean, it hurt so bad. There was so much pain in my body. And I just felt just like I was walking around on broken parts. Mm. And so I would just chant in my head, my legs feel great. My legs feel great. My legs feel great. And I just did that mental work. And that was my first really foray into the healing. I knew that I had to get out and move my body, even if it felt like it was going to kill me. And it did feel like that, but it Mm -hmm. didn't kill me. And then I also knew that I had to change my diet. I had to change what I was eating. And so I, while I was listening to the meditation, sound frequency, I saw on the other side, sound frequency really helps the body reformat itself. So I was Mm. listening to all these sound frequencies. I hired a health coach. And I remember when I met with this health coach, I'll never forget her name was Shelly. And I looked at her and she was older than me by about 10-ish years. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I want whatever she's got. Like whatever she's doing, I'm going to do. Whatever she tells me to do, I'm going to do, even if Mm -hmm. it's hard. And she and I met and she said, you know, do you think you might have a gluten sensitivity? And I said, oh, no, absolutely. I'm fine. I I eat gluten all the time. I've been eating it ever since I was a kid. And she's like, well, what about dairy? I said, no, I grew up on dairy, you know, potatoes, eggs, and cheese and, and bread. And she's like, well, what would you be willing to try stopping those two things? Uh, and I was like, no, <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> That's my staple. And at the time I was eating half a loaf of bread a day with butter, right? Just I would slather butter and eat the bread and I'd have cereal and milk. That was my diet. Mm-hmm. And so um, she started me out with smoothies and I committed to adding smoothies in and I started adding green juice in. And it was um, a little bit of time and I realized, uh, you know, I'm actually starting to feel better. Mm. Wow, this is interesting. And then I started to cut out gluten. I started to cut out dairy. And it was a process Mm -hmm. of evolution. And it didn't happen overnight. But I did end up cutting out gluten and dairy and um, some other foods completely. And I, you know, I felt like, wow, I feel amazing. And the pain started to disappear. I started to lose the weight and be able to keep it off. My skin cleared up. I mean, if you saw pictures of my skin, it was just completely I had acne everywhere. It looked terrible. My skin was so just bumpy and not smooth at all. And now people always say, oh my gosh, you're glowing. Well, it's an inside job, right? Mm-hmm. Glowing comes from within. Hmm. And at the same time, I was doing the sound healing. I was doing the meditation. I was doing the nutrition. I also had to go in and do the trauma healing work. I had to go in and really take a look 
at the traumas I had been through that just never got a voice, never got to be felt. In my family, you know, I always say that our solution to trauma was smoke a couple cigarettes, have a glass of wine and a good steak and bury it deep and throw some dirt on top of it and then overwork yourself and you'll, you won't think about it. And that's yeah. how we dealt with it. And I think that's how a lot of people deal with things. They bury themselves in work. They bury themselves in alcohol or cigarettes or addictions. And they don't think about the trauma. But the traumas get imprinted in ourselves and they then play out in our daily life. And mm-hmm. it keeps getting mirrored to us again and again and again until – and the universe is trying to say, heal this, please. Heal, heal this part of you that's been traumatized so that we don't have to keep repeating this pattern right. over and over. And boy, I tell you what happens when you go in and you do the trauma healing work. And one of the modalities that I love is using breath work because our breath will help us go in and find out where that trauma has been stored in our body. And <clears throat> I find this happens too with people with a lot of loss they store the trauma of loss in their cells. And then because, and this is something that I don't think people understand this enough, your life is being projected like a movie on the outside of you. And the projection comes from within you. And the projection comes based on your DNA and your programming that lives in you, right? So your vehicle's projecting all that out. Hmm. And so when you have a trauma, especially like a loss trauma, what happens with people is they get, they keep repeating that. It keeps Hmm. going. Like they'll find, oh my gosh, there's another loss and there's another loss and all this one. Right. And it's because they haven't really cleared that trauma from their body projector. And it's kind of like this. If we want to change the movie, if you're sitting in a movie and you're sitting in the seat and you want to change, there's a scary scene and you don't like it. What we don't do is we don't go up to the movie screen and start cutting on the movie screen Mm -hmm. because we know that doesn't change anything, right? We've got to go back into where the movie is stored and deal with a piece of the movie that we don't want to experience anymore. Mm -hmm. And so as human beings, we forget. We are so disconnected with the fact that we're creating and projecting this reality outside of us And it's the reason why you can have two people sitting in a restaurant experiencing the same meal and one will have an incredible experience and they'll love the wait staff and they'll be having this fabulous time. And the other person sitting across the table is like, my meal is awful and I have to send it back. And, you know, they're having this drastically different experience. Mm -hmm. And that's because our reality is a projection from within us. And so it's our jobs here on planet third grade to go within and clear some of these traumas. And by the way, when you get your physical vehicle, I think we forget or haven't been told that you're coming into a vehicle that has programming from at least seven generations back. You know, epigenetics has proven that you imprint the traumas from your family on both sides from seven generations. Mm-hmm. So imagine the traumas that your parents went through and your grandparents and their parents and grandparents and 
I mean, it's a lot. So you're stepping into this vehicle with generations and generations and generations of trauma experiences that no one's ever been taught to process. Yeah. And then here you are with no instruction guide in 2023 going, oh my gosh, how do I deal with this? Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more because I think we tend to think of coming in and we're a blank slate, you know, and, but, but you know, we're not. You're, you're talking <laughs> physically, there's, there's DNA, right? But there's also, I guess, because we do have past lives or concurrent lives, however, we would we'll just say past lives for the sake of simplicity. But be, because we do have these other things, we we're carrying, you know, karma for lack of a better word, but we're, we're not a blank slate. So when people say, I don't, I don't have any traumas to heal, you know, it's like you, there may be things that you're carrying that you're not aware of. Totally. And you can see this really clearly um, in generational trauma. I mean, look at what's happening with the Middle East conflict right now. You can see people playing out generational trauma in now time. It hasn't been cleared. It's been stored in the DNA and they're continuing to play that out. And you can see this, um, you know, and people of color, right? You, you know, you folks have been through the ringer with respect to a lot of things. And so you can see traumas playing out in people's lives that I love how you said it. We're not a blank slate at all. You come in with in the imprint of traumatic experiences. And that's a tough thing for people to cognize because we want to think we're a blank slate, mm -hmm. but you can even see this. Any, any parent who's a parent of multiple children, you, you know, everyone comes in with their different personalities. You know, yeah. some come in just smiling and laughing and some come in just fighting mad. <laughs> yeah. That's why I tell people, you know, if, if you're a parent and you have, if you have two children, you will realize that you did not create these children. Yes. Because they can be very, very different and, you know, to grow up in the same house, same parents, same everything, but totally different, you know, personalities. Totally. You gave them their bodies, but their spirit, their soul is their own. And then they have to then deal with, um, and I think this is an analogy that everyone can get. It's like, if you go car shopping, you could buy, <clears throat> maybe you bought um, a used 1982 Datsun, right? And you're going to have to deal with the problems of a used 1982 Datsun driving it around. Or you can buy a brand new Mercedes GLC and you're going to deal with the vehicle of that. Mm -hmm. And so the body vehicle, the genetic programming that we choose to come into, we then also have to deal with that programming. But that is a sole choice that the soul makes in order to learn the lessons. And that's an also a hard thing for people to understand. Like, why would a soul come in and choose to, as a child, battle a disease? Why would a soul choose to come in and have um, a horrible case of autism that is non-functional, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and truly, they're working on their own lessons, but oftentimes they're also being our greatest teachers because our relationships are our greatest teachers here on planet earth. Yeah. Well, I, and I think there's also something about um, maybe being able to overcome, you know, it, it, I, I'm going to take on that, that challenge because we do come here. I think we come here to, to experience challenge. We could go somewhere easier, yeah. um, but, but we wouldn't grow as much. I, I'll never forget when I was uh, in my mid twenties, I think it was, I was talking to someone about, you know, being African-American 
And I, I said this at that time, I said, why would anybody ever choose to be, you know, a black man in America? Nobody would ever choose that. If you, if you, in your right mind, you would choose to be, you know, a white person. So you have the <laughs> advantage. And it took me several years after that. But I, one day I realized it's like, no, this was a good, this was a good thing that I chose this is I learned a lot that I wouldn't have learned if I had chosen another vehicle. So I think sometimes we can, on the surface, it might look like, well, everybody would choose to be wealthy. Everybody mm-hmm. would choose to be perfectly healthy. Everybody would choose to be, you know, six, five and, you know, but no, we, we choose different things for different purposes. Yeah. I love how you brought that forward, Brian, because there's so much to learn from adversity. We learn from contrast here. And to your point, like being a black man in America, you know, that is one of the toughest things you can choose to be, right? It's not an idealized Mm -hmm. situation, Mm -hmm. no advantages there. And also the things that we learn when we're in the depths, the things that we learn when we have to fight adversity It's like for me personally, what I learned from overcoming, you know, these critical illnesses, Mm -hmm. I now know how to be healthy. I know the recipe. I know that it's possible. Right. right? And so that then allows me to teach other people the recipe for being healthy. It's it's actually a thing that you can do. Is it hard? Absolutely. Can you do it? Yes, you can. And to you, like look at you now, you're making, you know, you're blessing thousands and thousands of people all over the world with what you're doing. And you would never have been able to do that without overcoming a lot of adversity. Yeah. And I think, again, I, I want to emphasize that to people because when they hear things about like soul planning, you know, they think, well, I, I would never have planned this, uh, but I, I love talking to people like yourself who have who have overcome. That's that's those are the stories that inspire us. Those are the things, the examples that let us know that we can do it. Um, and that while this planet is is work, and I was I was talking to a client just like yesterday, I said I always hesitate to say this, but this life is work. <laughs> this life is it's not easy. It, it's it's hard. We chose a hard place to come to. But I think it's I think it's worth it, you know, and we can see that it's worth it once we once we've made that overcome those challenges. Totally, totally. And that's the hard part about being human is that and especially if you grew up in America or Western cultures is because we were taught a very specific ideology or way of thinking about Mm -hmm. success and what success is. And what I learned on the other side, and if you can hear one thing today is material success here does not equal soul success. And I think we're pivoting on the planet into a more soul-based alignment. On planet Earth, we have actually done different things um, where we have lived a more soul-led life. But for the past I'm going to say about 6,000 years or so, we have been completely disconnected from a soul-based life. It's Mm. been physical. It's been survival. We haven't been tapped into divine source energy or our higher selves really at all. We were totally told that that wasn't a thing, that we had to go through our pastor or our priest or somebody outside of us to be connected. And now more and more people are waking up to the fact that, oh no, you can have a direct connection with your higher self and you can live this soul led life. And by the way, all the material goods here 
don't come with you. Like you don't get to take anything here with you except your soul growth. And soul growth, if you're living that soul-led life and make a commitment to living in connection and trust with the universe, what will then happen is the, the some of the issues start to dissolve, right? The money issues dissolve, the health issues dissolve, the separation issues dissolve, and you can actually co-create exactly what you need when you need it. And you're living in this beautiful, trusting environment with the universe and you feel so held and loved. And I think most people don't live that life. They, they've been so trained out of it, but it's something that we have done before. We just haven't done it, especially for the last 2000 years. And for sure, not in America. We just are not trained or taught that. And so I think people, what I believe is happening now with the level of chaos on the planet is people are having to hit those hard moments of waking up to the fact that there is something more here available for us and that there is this beautiful source that we can tap into and live a more soul-based life versus a success-based life where we're willing to, you know, screw over our fellow human beings for a buck, yeah. basically. Yeah, and it's funny, as, as you were saying that, as we're talking about this, because whenever I hear about conscious creation and stuff like that again i guess because of the my western mentality i think okay material stuff i think everybody's like okay oh so if i if i do this stuff i can i can be successful right i can i can get all the things that i want mm -hmm. um and i was talking with, with someone just the other day we we're talking about this and it, it's like no it's really about our souls are not really interested in this stuff because because it's temporary because mm -hmm. we can't take it with us. And so when we start to realize who we truly are, and when we go back to the other side, if if I do have a Mercedes or a BMW or whatever it is that I drive, it's it's not going with me. Mm -hmm. You know, and and all this all the success I had in my business or whatever, that's that's the soul doesn't care about that. The soul cares about experiences and and love and things of that nature. All the stuff in the West that were kind of like, well, that's that's secondary. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And I want to add a caveat to that. Like your soul and divine energy is thrilled if you're having a joyful experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if the Mercedes Benz brings you joy, by all means, have it. If those things make you feel more generous and more loving, by all means, go for it. And if going after those things makes you the opposite, by all means, drop it. Right? Yeah. Because ultimately, it's like that old joke. Have you ever heard the old joke where the guy works out a deal with St. Peter where he can bring all his gold to heaven? Mm -mm. Have you heard that? No. So the guy works, he works out a deal with St. Peter and he is able to bring all his gold to heaven and he gets up to heaven and the angels are standing around and they're kind of like laughing and snickering. And the uh, uh, one of the angels goes, why is that guy bringing all that pavement up here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just it's it's so it's just so silly that we think these things are going to fill up our cup and ultimately it it is our role here to fill up our cup in the face of adversity, in the face of pain, in the face of loss. And that I think is the huge key lesson and we're seeing it play out on a global scale. 
Can you be a loving human being when you're grieving? Can you be a loving human being when the world is having a moment, right? Can you be a loving human when your neighbors are trying to blast you out? Right. And can you hold that frequency of love, unconditional love and peace? It is one of the hardest things to do when your surroundings are not that, but that is the work, especially as you go onto the other side, you realize if you don't want to come round to earth and you want to graduate third grade, one of the criteria that you have to tick off <laughs> is can you hold the frequency of love in the face of adversity? Can you just hold that in your body all the time? Interesting. Yeah, I, I, the, yeah, because I've heard the concept of Earth as a school, of course, you know, many times. But you know, the idea of like, okay, well, it, it's almost like, well, we can't trust you with this level of creativity, you know, unrestrained. So we're going to send you a place where it's it's slowed down, yeah. and just there's guardrails on it, um, and, and totally. so it's 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 slow. I so we have to like if I want to manifest something or do something, I've got to I've got to work at it. It takes a while, and I can see the mm -hmm. the cause and effect. Um, yes. and so it's an interesting way of looking at earth. It's like kindergarten or third grade. Yes, exactly. And it does, it gives us a long, elongated time before manifestation comes mm -hmm. because on the other side, it really is think it happened. It happens mm -hmm. in, um, like past quantum light time, you know, it's mm -hmm. just happening instantaneously. And by the way, down here, as you raise your vibration, as you raise your frequency, your manifestations start to happen faster and faster mm -hmm. because you're capable of holding that. So it's kind of like, as you raise up in frequency, you you're then allowed to manifest faster. Um, I, you know, I do retreats here on the big island and I'll take people uh, on a hike down into an active volcano and I'll always tell them be very conscious of your thoughts because it happens almost instantaneously here hmm. and I'll watch people and I'll take I'll take them into the crater and I'll bring one person in and I'll bring another person out because they literally go down and it's such an, a faster frequency in that volcano hmm. and in the Hawaiian islands that people can tap into that literally if they harness that energy, they then can quickly transform themselves and have these amazing outcomes that are like, wow, how fast did that happen? And they've been taking years and all of a sudden it'll just drop in. So, you know, what's cool is that when we do raise our frequency, you will be able to create more easily. You'll be able to have that material thing because I think one thing that's important to remember is we still do live in a material world. Mm -hmm. And so we need those material items and we yeah. can allow ourselves to be fortified and we can allow ourselves to have comfort and have joy. And the more, um, this, this universe is really, it's a free will universe. So it's like, well, if you like joy, you could have more of that. And if you like it hard, you can have more of that. Mm -hmm. And part of it is about us really deciding what the frequency projection is that we're going to hold. Because if you're holding the frequency projection of joy and love, what you're going to have in your movie is 
a lot of yumminess. You're going to have a lot of joy. You're going to have a lot of love. You're going to have a lot of opportunities, abundance, all of those things. And if you're having a projection that's lack and old beliefs that have been lingering around and that are still clogging you up, that's what's going to be in your movie. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things that I think what I, what I saw on the other side is that if we take responsibility for everything that's happening in our world, because on some level we're a vibrational match to it, we can transform ourselves. But that's also the hardest concept for people to get of taking responsibility, especially for people who have been like myself, um, you know, at, like I was a kidnapping victim. I was a kidnapping survivor, right? So if you've had something really horrific happen to you, it's hard to get the concept of taking responsibility. Or if you've had a terrible loss, it's hard to take responsibility for that. And I think that there's a, when I talk about responsibility, there's a difference between blaming yourself mm -hmm. Okay. For something that happened versus that happened. And I'm going to now in my now moment, take responsibility for assessing and clearing out any traumas that mm -hmm. got imprinted in my body in the past or in this moment. And that's what I'm going to take responsibility for. And when we take responsibility for that piece, not this thing that happened to me or, you know, that you got cancer or that you got had this horrible disease or whatever, like we're not blaming ourselves for the loss or for the disease or for the financial, you know, meltdown or whatever it is. But we're saying, I'm going to now take responsibility for the trauma and clearing that trauma imprint from my body. And that's such a huge piece that's life transforming for people. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you went, cause I was going to ask you that question about responsibility versus blame, because when, when we say that we have to be very careful with our language because people will say, well, you're saying I'm the blame for this. It's my fault that I got cancer. It's my fault that, you know, this happened because we're, again, we're trained to put blame on some, some, somebody has got to be at fault. Something's yes. got to, you did something wrong. And it's, it's not that it's, mm -mm. you know, what you're saying, I hear you saying is like, we, we attract what we kind of what we put out, um, which is, you know, it, and that's a cycle that can be hard to break, I guess, for people. So how, if, if someone comes to you and says, okay, this is the mindset I have, how do I get out of this? I, I feel like it's just habitual. It's all I've ever known. Where do I start? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And I want to kind of circle back to something else you said too, um, about, um, blaming. So, but I first want to address your question. So if you're in that cycle that you can't break, one of the things that I have, um, found is that we have an identity around something when we identify, um, and we, and we know we're in identification when we ever, we say I am. So if you were to write out your story and use a lot of I am's, a great access point for people is to say, you know, I am a, you know, in, in your case would be, I am Brian, um, I am this, I am that, and start writing. And you might, um, if you were stuck in a cycle, you might say like, uh, you could have a client say like, oh, I'm always struggling with money or I'm always battling this health, health issue. And so you'll know where your identity lies when you're saying the word I am. Mm -hmm. And so the first piece is always know where you're at, recognize where, where the story is. Cause if you can see where the story is, then you can start to work with the story. Mm 
And it usually happens at the identity level. If we can't shift something, we're so identified with that. So part of the work is breaking the identity and breaking down those old patterns. Does that happen overnight? No, but there's a couple of tools that you can use. Um, One of the tools is brainwave frequencies. And so in, in childhood, we are in theta brainwave. And it's a faster programming brainwave where we can really download a lot of data very quickly. Mm -hmm. So if you want to reprogram your identity and identify as a wealthy human being or as a healthy human being or as somebody who is loving and has great relationships, you can go and put yourself into theta brainwave state with brainwaves. And then you can start to imagine yourself as you would want to be. Hmm. And the more vivid you create the picture and involve all the senses, like it, for example, in my story, I would just imagine myself walking down my street, feeling really good, being healthy, noticing the, the birds in the air. And that's what I did. And it really allowed me to get out of the bed. So you can just use brainwave frequencies and visualize yourself in the state that you want to be. Hmm. And that informs your projection machine. It informs your identity. And when you start working at the level of identity, your outer world then has to change. You literally have to experience what your identity believes that you are. That's how it works um, in terms of quantum physics and subatomic particles and all of that stuff. So there's, you know, there's a lot you can do there, but I think the first piece is really recognizing where you're at. Are you living in blame? Are you living in um, what I would call a disempowered mode? where you're pointing, sort of pointing the finger outside of you all the time as to why things are happening. And that's really the first piece of recognizing if you're there. I always say, if you want the mirror to smile, you don't sit and wait and wait for the mirror to smile. You have to smile first, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have to go within and find the places where we're, to your point, um, we're not blaming ourselves for what happened. We're not like, you know, I know people I work with clients like this who maybe had, can- they got cancer because they grew up on a farm and their, um, you know, parents used Monsanto on the farm, right. you know, and it's not their fault at all. And we're right. not even going to say that they attracted it. No, it just happened. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to place blame on that, but we're going to take responsibility for, well, let me heal this trauma now. Let me heal this imprint now. Let me, let me reclaim my healthiness now. And it's, it's just a different come from, um, when we're coming from that level and being in an empowered, uh, human being, because we can tap into instantaneous healing frequencies. We can tap into levels of healing that we're not used to tapping into because we're used to, again, like pointing fingers outside of us. This one's going to heal me and that one's going to heal me and I'm going to go get healing from that one versus I'm going to take responsibility for my own healing and I'm going to dig deep on the soul level and I'm going to heal and clear and make the most out of this tough circumstance. I'm going to use it as rocket fuel for my best life. And I really do believe at the end of the day, you know, everybody's going to have moments of devastation in life. And we get to choose 
how we use that rocket fuel. We can explode our lives or we can use it for our best lives. Yeah, and at absolutely. the end of the day, it's a choice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank for that for that answer. We're coming to the end of our time. Um, what I'd like to do is have you tell people, I think you had some some things you wanted to offer to the audience and tell people where they can find you and, and how you work with people. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, if you liked this interview and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to know how to raise my vibration. I want to know how to do all that stuff. I have an awesome toolkit. So you can go to raiseyourvibrationtoolkit.com and there's some little lessons in there and then actual exercises that you can do to raise your vibration, to tap into blessings and love and joy. By the way, if you have kids, do this with your kids because kids get it. You know, kids are so smart these days they're coming in knowing already how to use their iPhones they get pre-programmed with the downloads so they mm. already know that there's something more so definitely do this with your kids but that's that's one of the best ways that people can you know start to work with me is you know get the toolkit start doing some of the inner work because it really does start with that inner work and it um, you know when we when we go within and we start to heal, those core traumas and those core programs, um, even after loss, even after devastation, you know, we can have a different life. We can sort of reconfigure ourselves. And I always say, um, you know, I'm, I love sound healing and the best healing bowls. In fact, I have one of them is a bowl that's broken and then re put back together. Really? And refuse together. And so some of the best healers on the planet are probably people like in your audience where we've been broken into a million pieces and we have to do the work to put ourselves back together. And when we do, you know, we're stronger than ever and we can help others see what's possible. So, you know, it's worth doing the work to put yourself back together and and really use whatever devastation you've been through as that fuel for a beautiful life. Awesome. Well, thank you, Alyssa. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing your your wisdom and your insights and, and your experience and for being an example of what we can be. Oh, thank you for having me, Brian. This has been so just such a blessing. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.